It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And good morning. Welcome into the program. Happy Wednesday to you. The sun is breaking through the clouds. More clouds rolling in behind them, but that's all right. The uh, the storm has passed for the most part. There's still some wind out there, but not nearly as bad as it was supposed to be. Woke up this morning to come in here uh, and, and help out uh, Tom Hodgson, filling in for Phil. And it was perfect. I mean, well, you know, as perfect as you can expect. It was like a, just a regular rainstorm. Uh, no ice on the ground. No snow on the ground, so we dodged another one. I don't know how much longer that's going to happen. I'm hoping that nothing happens in the last couple of weeks of March, but let's uh, let's be happy. We could have been, what, as Kate's been telling us about in Holly, Massachusetts, 33 inches of snow. That's not even, that's more than the classic 90s album, 12 inches of snow and, and rising. So anyway, we have a lot that we can talk about today. If you um if you missed last night's edition of South Coast Tonight, you can check out the podcast at WBSM.com and on the app. But Marcus spoke with Paul Chase, who is the CEO of the Realtors Association of Southeastern Massachusetts, and he gave the you know the 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 property owner slash landlord slash realtor uh, view on this rent stabilization proposal. And he talked about it in and when you listen back to it when you hear it first of all i mean I've, I've been talking to paul chase for different things here and i've heard him for th- different things on the station here for the past few years he is somebody who is certainly uh, uh, sympathetic toward the people who are looking for housing but he's also talking about the reality of what that rent stabilization could do for somebody to want to come in and build and for properties to become available. So it's worth listening to hear that perspective. If uh, if you are somebody who is for it, and you already know that you're for it, it's a way to listen and, and, and consider some things that you might not have considered before. But they talked about, one of the things that they talked about, and it's something that fascinates me, and it's certainly something that can be more of the conversation going forward with this, is the idea of the accessory dwelling units. So these apartments that people build within their homes that they can then rent out for extra money. You might call it an in-law apartment. Some of you might not call it that at all because there's no way you would want your in-laws to live with you. (laughs) But the idea is that, um, you know, it would be a place that you could get some income from and certainly it's not going to be the same as if somebody had an apartment in an apartment building. But if you can get yourself five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars 
each month. How's that? That's going to help you quite a bit with your mortgage. Or if you are an older person who owns your home and is on a fixed income, that's that's revenue that you can bring in every month. But there's so many restrictions in how that can be built that it's keeping people who want to do it from being able to do it. Paul talked about Paul Chase talked about the need to not only allow for that to happen in the existing buildings that want it, but to allow for new construction to be able to do it as well. Uh, so that when people are coming in and building new homes, they can have that opportunity. And one of the other things that I thought was really interesting in what he said was he said, you know, in his role, he's talking to a lot of people who are looking to buy homes. And he said he probably knows about 50 people right now that are looking to buy a home in New Bedford, but because the housing stock is low, that they can't find places to buy. People that want to buy and stay in the city can't find places in the city to buy. And he said he knows about 50 people that are looking right now to buy a home in the city. And as he pointed out, that's 50 apartments that could then, or rental units that could then become available for other people that need them. If those 50 people could find a home and be able to move into a home, 50 other people would be able to move into the apartments that they leave behind. So there definitely needs to be more of a focus, too, on helping people get into, first of all, finding the homes, building the homes, but also helping people get into those homes. I had Lisa White on um, earlier this week or last week. I forget. all the Last week. All the days are, I don't know, all the days are blurring together last week. And she talked about, she's talked with us in the past about how, you know, one of her focuses, even though she's a landlord, and she said she has no problem keeping her units occupied. Every time one of her units opens up, she's got a list of people that want to move in. So she doesn't have a problem finding renters. And with that in mind, she is all about when renters want to be able to become homeowners. And so she talked about it when she campaigned for the city council that she wants to help people become homeowners. And I've had, you know, private conversations with her about it too, about you know the plan and how it would all work. And there needs to be more of a focus on that too. And those people might not become homeowners in New Bedford. The people who live in the city right now as renters who say, you know, my goal is to buy a home. They might not want to live in New Bedford and that's fine. You can live wherever you want, but they might want to move somewhere where there are houses available, but there are stumbling blocks to them being able to get that house. And, and maybe we need to put a focus on that. And Paul Chase also talked about, and, and he gave full disclosure that he doesn't know exactly how the whole program works at the state level, but he wants to see more done with housing vouchers to be able to help people stay in places and also to help people be able to get into places. You know, I talked about it with Lisa last week where I said, you know, maybe they could create some kind of a of a loan for the people who there's a lot of people right now who are without a home, without a place to live because they're trying to save up first, last and security. They're trying to save up the money that they need to move into a place. And, you know, maybe they're like I can afford the 12 or 1400 dollars a month rent. But I don't have, you know, dollars $3,600 available right in front of me now to be able to do that. 
And I had suggested that maybe there could be some kind of a loan program. She pointed out, well, now you're giving people something else they have to pay on top of being able to make the rent, which is a fair point. But maybe that's a way that you help is by having more of that assistance to help people actually move into places. So those are just some of the things that that came up last night in that discussion, which you can check out and listen for yourself at WBSM.com or on the WBSM app or wherever you get your podcasts from. Today, I want to talk about uh, some different things. I don't want to keep on that issue, but certainly if you have more that you want to say on that issue, you can give me a call at 508-996-0500. But also, there's some other things that I want to discuss. First of all, if if you missed the blunder on Channel 10 weather yesterday, on WJAR 10, Mark Sorrells, the chief meteorologist, who let's let's face it, I mean, the guy is, you know, one of the, the standard bearers for forecasting. He's uh he's a guy who's who does a great job all the time. But he had a flub yesterday that was pretty funny. And you can see it for yourself at, at WBSM.com or on the app. So in the five o'clock news or six o'clock news yesterday, he was giving the rain totals from all the rain. That had gone on yesterday. And he had a graphic up with the amount of rain from each community. You know, not each community, but, you know, a couple of different communities kind of spotlighting across the area. You know how it goes. They all have their weather watchers, the people who call in and they'll tell them what the weather is. Or they'll tell them how much how much rain or snow has fallen. You know, you've got people all around that want to contribute to that. And they also will call around to official channels and, and get the, the measurements from the official channels as well. And then they type it up in a graphic and they, they put it up on the screen. So yesterday, Mark Searles is showing the graphic of the total rainfall for the area. And at the very top is Dar- uh, Dighton. And Dighton had the most out of the, the communities that were on the list. They had 2.22 inches of rain at the at the point in time that this was broadcast at about 6 p.m. last night. And number two, with 2.16 inches of rain, clear as day right there on the screen, was Fartmouth. You know, the town of Fartmouth. Fartmouth, Massachusetts. You've been there. You've probably gone to the Fartmouth Mall. You've probably been to, to you know to Fartmouth on, on on more than a few occasions. Some of you listening to me right now actually live in Fartmouth, so that's that was just a funny typo from Mark Searles putting together the the weathercast. And and on the next weather, uh, it, no, I think I think this was at five, and then on the six o'clock weather, I might have my times mixed up. He came back on and he and he apologized for it and said, you know, hey, you know, I thanks to the people who caught my. My little typo there. And listen, the D and the F are right next to each other on the keyboard. He could have been trying to put that that graphic together on the fly, you know, getting ready uh, with like seconds to go before he had to be on the air and didn't get a chance to proofread it. And you could tell he saw it when he was on the air because he didn't say anything about it when he was on the air. But it was it was funny. He had a good laugh at it. Everybody else was sharing it around on social media. And you can see it for yourself. I, I was able to speak to a couple of people that saw it live 
and get their reaction to it. And then um, I'll, I also put their photos in the story. But what was funny about it was one of the people who I talked to for the story, Miranda Laughlin, is not from the area. Like has, has only recently moved to the area. Her and her husband and their family, they came from Denver, Colorado, and they live um, in Rhode Island. You know, like close, close to the South Coast, but they live in Rhode Island. And when she saw it, she said at first she laughed out loud, but then thought for a, wait, for a minute, wait a minute, is, is there a Fartmouth, Massachusetts? Because she's not from the area and she's not familiar with all the towns. So she actually asked her husband, is there a Fartmouth, Massachusetts? <laughs> and then after a few moments, they realized that, no, there isn't a Fartmouth, Massachusetts. Uh, so you can check it out. And, it, it, you know, if you want to sh- share it with a friend for a good laugh today, uh, I think everybody can kind of appreciate the fact that it was it was just a simple mistake and a funny one. Nobody nobody was hurt in this mistake, except maybe Mark Searle's pride a little bit. But you can you can bet next time he writes Dartmouth on a graphic, he's gonna double check his work before he puts it on television. It's just it's it's perfect. When you see that every time I look at it, I giggle. Uh it's just it was perfectly executed. And the photo <laughs> The photo that we have, which was uh, given to us by uh, Amy Paulhouse, uh, when you when you look at the photo, it's like the, it's the exact moment I think, looking at it, when Mark Searles realized, oh man, <laughs> oh man, did I make a mistake? He's looking right at it with a look on his face, like, ah, what do I do here? So check it out for yourself. It's at wbsm.com. And on the app. And then also, I had been talking about this on the air, but a few people have asked me if I was going to share it again. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll write an article about it. I put not really a recipe, not really, you know, instructions per se, but I wrote an article about how I cook my corned beef and cabbage in the Instant Pot. Because, and again, there's a million recipes online to be able to cook it that way. But a lot of folks were asking, like, so what do you what do you do when you do it? And I and rather than say, oh, I just you know do it the same way all the online recipes do it, I said, let me kind of write it out and put some of my little tips and tricks, like putting in the squirt of yellow mustard and using the quick release on the steam instead of letting it naturally release things like that. So I wrote that up. So that's at wbsm.com and on the app. So if you are looking to try and uh, use the instant pot for your corned beef and cabbage on Friday. And you want to, if you want to have the entire meal ready to go in about an hour and a half, then go and check that out because it will change your life. And the way I look at it on St. Patrick's Day, the less time I have to spend cooking my corned beef and cabbage, that means the faster I get to eat my corned beef and cabbage. It's, it's a, like once I start smelling it cooking, it's a struggle. That's why I like the Instant Pot too, because it, it keeps the, the smell down. You know, and some of us love the meal, so we love the smell, but other people in our family don't don't love it. You know, if you live in an apartment, maybe your neighbors don't love it. But the Instant Pot helps keep down the corned beef and cabbage smell. You're still going to get it, especially when you release the steam, but it's not nearly as bad as it is if you have a pot on the stove going for, for three or four hours. So check that out if you want to try to do it the quick way. The downside is when I take the meat out, of the water and I, I wrap it in foil and that that'll that's twofold it keeps it warm but also it gives it some time about five or ten minutes for the meat to settle 
which as anybody who cooks meat will tell you, you know, you got to let it settle a little bit after you're done cooking it. The problem is, is while I'm cooking the vegetables and the potatoes and the carrots and the cabbage, everything's all in the water and it's, that's going through a five minute steam cooking process. The meat's right there and I can't resist the urge to peel back the foil and pinch off some of the corned beef and then let's take a little bit of a bigger piece. Oh, that's really good. I'm going to take another piece. So like a third of the corned beef is gone by the time the rest of the meal is ready. So there's, there's that just, just that one downside for me. Maybe you have better self-control and you don't have to worry about it. But again, you can check that out at WBSM.com and on the app. And if you try it, if you cook it that way, let me know, you know, give me a call on, on Monday and say, Hey, we made the corned beef the way that you would suggest it. And you were right. It came out more tender and delicious than any corned beef I've ever had, and it only took me an hour and a half. It still feels like forever, though, when you are dying to have it. 508-996-0500 or hit me up on App Chat on the WBSM app. Going to take a break. When we come back on the other side of the break, I want to talk about this article that was published at uh, NewBedfordLight.org by Colin Hogan. As we're talking about Greater New Bedford Votech and the Votech Schools admission policies, one of the things that came up, and it's a question that I had, was just how many students that are going to the school and use and taking up the the spots that are in, uh, taking up the spots that are available for students that are looking for vocational education. Just how many of them are working in that vocation later on? Because we know that Votech has a, a very high rate of students that go on to college. So what about those that study the vocation? Are they going into it? And Colin Hogan has a piece today that examines, you know, speaks to some local auto and body shops. And it's kind of shocking how few Votech graduates are working in those shops. Now, again, maybe they're going somewhere else. Maybe they're going to shops that are outside the city. Maybe they're going to shops that are in the city that, that, uh, that they didn't talk to for the story. So it, it is, in a sense, anecdotal, but it also kind of gives you a sense of, because they're asking the same questions. The business owners are asking the same questions. Are these kids even going into these shops? But what, was, what I found to be interesting was some of the comments made by those who are involved in co-ops with the school. We'll get into all that when we come back. 508-996-0500. We'll be right. For a million years, mankind lived just like the animals. And something happened. Well, some humans learn to talk. Some of us are still right there with the animals, like myself. But if you want to call in 508-996-0500 or hit us up on AppChat on the WBSM app, but I had mentioned the article at newbedfordlight.org, and it's by Colin Hogan. It's the first in a two-part series. So today, um, today's article 
Actually, it was published yesterday. So part two is probably going to be coming at some point today. Actually, I should look and see. Maybe it's up because I haven't refreshed my page. haven't refreshed the page. But the story is about looking at auto shops. It does not look like the new part is up yet. So this is... Um, the, the headline is, Auto Body Shops Ask, Where Are the Vogue Tech Grads? And in the story, Colin Hogan talks to the owners and, and uh, the people behind some of the local auto shops, auto repair and body work, and finds out exactly how many of them are employing Vogue Tech grads. Now, a number of the people that he spoke to are Vogue Tech grads themselves that own and operate these businesses, but they're not able... To, to, to hire them. So he talks to uh, the owner of uh, Pinto's Garage and Auto Body, Gus Pinto Sr., and he says, I'd love to hire people from Vogue Tech, but in the last five or six years, he hasn't been able to find the right talent. And he said, we need people who care, not just people going to Vogue for the sake of going to Vogue. Now, that is a quote from a Vogue Tech graduate, a New Bedford Vogue graduate, who is now a business owner, who served on... The, um, let me make sure I get it right exactly. He was a member of the school, uh, the vocational school's advisory committee for about 12 years. And now his son, who is also his business partner, sits in that, in that position. So they know what's going on in the school. And, and they're saying that the problem is, is the kids who are going to the Vogue school aren't interested in the Vogue education. And the problem isn't that the, you know, the, the, it's not that the students aren't getting the right education because Vogue Tech is doing a great job of, of teaching them those skills. The problem is that's not what the kids are focused on doing. That's just what they do because they have to because they're at Vogue. That's what these, these auto shop owners are suggesting in this article. There's a part where he talks to um, the owner of a collision center, Bob Hathaway, the owner of Hathaway Collision Center, who is himself a 1988 Vogue Tech graduate. And he talks about having vocational students in under the co-op plan. So this is from Colin Hogan's piece. Vocational students now work on cooperative education assignments or co-op with him. And Hathaway said that some students clearly aren't looking for a career in the field and that their inattention and inexperience can be costly. A, according to Hathaway, this is in, in, in the story at NewBedfordLight.org. According to Hathaway, a co-op student recently damaged a car hood, causing hundreds of dollars of additional costs. Even with the lower wages than an experienced technician, Vogue Tech students are often more expensive to hire because of these mistakes, costly insurance, and needing a mentor technician, which means paying two wages for the work of one. So what, basically what he's saying is, you know, he's not faulting the school of which he is a graduate. What he's saying is the kids aren't bothering to learn the great education in the trade that the school is giving them because that's, that's not what they're interested in doing. Now, again, this is all anecdotal stories. So that could totally be, you know, a couple of dumb kids that do dumb things. A couple of kids that aren't paying attention because, 
you know, they're they're not focused on what it is they're doing because they're kids. And as you know, it's hard to keep kids focused on things. But the suggestion is, is that they're coming and doing it because they have to, not because they want to. And they have to because they went to vote for whatever reason they went to vote, but it was clearly not to work in that field. Again, I stress, anecdotal. It's, it's a select number of auto shop workers, which is one field of many that are taught at the school. So it may not be indicative of the entire situation overall, but those anecdotes do matter. 508-996-0500. Good morning. You're on WBSM. Morning, Tim. How are you? Good. So, uh, how are you? I'm all right. What's on your mind? All right. Um, so, I'm a, I'm a Volk Tech graduate, 2009. Um, I was... Are you there? Um, yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, so I was, uh, I'm a Volk Tech graduate, 2009, uh, from welding, welding and sheet metal fabrication. And, uh, my, my experience with getting a job outside of Volk Tech in that field was horrendous. Number one, I didn't go to co-op. I wasn't able to go. I, my grades weren't there and my attendance was lacking. So I, I didn't, I couldn't apply for co-op, for co-op. I didn't, I wasn't in the, the, you know, the slot when they, when they picked the guys for co-op. But anyways, um, getting a job in a field where you go to school, where, where you go to vote for is nearly impossible. If you do not have at least two to five years experience in that field, whether it's automotive, whether it's welding, whether it's informational tech, whatever has you, whatever has you, okay? You have to have experience. And they don't count vocational uh, schooling as experience. Um, I, know, I know from personal experience, I've, I've, when I got out of high school, I applied to numerous welding jobs, and they wanted two to five years experience, field experience. Now, if you don't get that co-op position as a student, and I don't even know if that's even considered uh, experience. Well, it should be because you're getting paid. I mean, they, they, those guys, those kids get paid regardless uh, when they do when they do the co-op. But uh, it's it's nearly impossible to get a job in that in, in that set in that set field. Um, that's that was one of my personal problems is because I didn't have the experience. Uh, I still use my experience I have for, for, for school from school in you know, side jobs and stuff like that. But I, I, now I'm a truck driver, uh, you know, and I, and it's just, it's just, I, from my, my experience, it was horrible because I, you know, didn't have the experience and, you know, but anyways, but yeah, that, that's, well, that's, that's what pretty much. What, and uh, and, and some, some of the, the folks that are interviewed in this story say, you know, listen, I, I would hire from there, but it's not my first choice. Others are saying, you know, I would love to have students, from there, but I'm just, they're just not applying because they're not interested in doing the job. So I think there's a, a mixture of responses from some of these people that uh, spoke to the light for the story of, you know, whether or not they would want to do that same thing. Do they want to have somebody that doesn't have the experience coming out of the school? I think, you know, I think it all depends on what the trade is too. Some, some are more worried about, you know, the danger of having somebody that's inexperienced. Others are more of a matter of, I'd, I'd rather not have to spend the time to train them additionally myself. So it all depends yeah. on, you know, what, what, what that inexperience would, would lead to. 
Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure too. Like if you know, like uh, you know, you break the shops down and stuff like that. Like say you get somebody that has, you know, wants to be a cook in the culinary field. It's probably a hell of a lot easier to get a job as a cook or in that field. Uh, you know, working your way to be up. You know, working your way to becoming a a, a chef. Uh, straight out of Vogue. I mean, because you know the demand for for cooks is probably a lot higher than. You know the demand for welders and 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 plumbers, and they they want they want the experience before you apply. They want you to have that working experience. But where do you get that working experience? Right. If you're just coming out of school, yeah. Unless you go to a trade school, a trade college. You know what I mean? Um, that's that's I guess that's you know that's a way to do it. But sure. hey, I don't know. All right. Well, All right, th- thank you for the call. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, I get some more calls here on the line, but we have room for you at 508-996-0500. I tell people all the time, having spent, and again, I'm not, I'm not just talking out of my rear end here. I spent 22 years in the restaurant industry as a cook. Well, 21 years as a cook. The first year I was a dishwasher. But I became a cook when I was 16 years old because anybody can do it, really. Like, you, you might not become a, a, a world-famous chef, but anybody can become a cook in a restaurant. And I always tell people that the skills, there's only, there's only two skills that you need to become a cook and to, to be successful at it and make a living doing it. One is show up to work and show up to work on time. If you can do those two things, then you can have yourself a really good career as a cook. People will be willing to teach you everything else you need to know. If you can do those two things, but nobody wants to spend the time teaching you those things if they think you're not going to show up and if you don't show up on time, those two skills are all that you need to start a career as a cook and you will find somebody who is willing to teach you and train you. They might not hire you as a cook right away. You'll probably have to go in as a dishwasher or as a bus person or something else. But if they see that you have those two skills and an interest in learning to cook, guarantee you somebody will want to train you because there's always a need for those positions. And, uh, and there's, you know, people like me, I trained a lot of people over the years how to cook and I taught them the way that I was taught, but I still developed kind of my own things going along and I can't, I don't do anything the way that I would have if I went to culinary school. People who go to culinary school would see how I worked and say, oh my God, how do you do that? How, how can you work? How can you handle, how can you cut things with your knife work being like that? How can you do this? How can you do that? And you know what the answer is? I, I just do. I just do. I was one of the fastest, one of the best at what I did with no formal training. And anybody else that wants to just show up to work and show up on time, I had a little bit of a trouble with the second one. But anybody that wants to do those two things can have that same level of success. 508-996-0500. Good morning. You're on WBSM. Hi, good morning. How are you? Um, good. How are you? Doing all right. What's on your mind? Um, I just wanted to make a quick point, something that's been on my mind for quite a few years now watching um, the way that voc- um, most vocational high schools have brought their standards up um, pretty high. I know I'm in my 40s, so back in the day, um, in the 90s, vocational schools didn't have the best reputation academically. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very glad that they've brought themselves you know, to a higher standard. But I do wonder if they've, come, they've gone so high that the students that would benefit from the hands-on vocations that they offer are now left behind for the students that have the academic abilities for other things and that are not interested in the vocation, but the parents don't want them to go to the alternatives, especially in New Bedford being New Bedford High School, which 
has no now a terrible reputation. And, and so well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't characterize it as terrible. I mean, they've they've done made a lot of changes over the last oh, uh, decade or I so. I agree with you. I'm just saying, but but if you if you speak to parents, however, they they feel differently. A lot of a lot of parents before their kids go there. My daughter just graduated from there last year. I have daughters who played soccer there. Um, it, it's I don't have that view myself. But if you speak to parents, you know why are you choosing Volk over? New Bedford, and, oh, because New Bedford High School is terrible, and that seems to be the consensus, which I do feel like the city and New Bedford High School need to do a better job at promoting themselves a little bit better because they do offer some fantastic programs and education. Their AP program is still up, you know, above what, you know, a lot of the schools offer in this area. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like, you know, a lot of people were upset when, um, I think it was last year or two years ago, the vocational standards, um, they didn't lower, but they allowed for some, I want to say maybe pool, like a, a pool type thing where they were going to allow some spots. Yeah, they, I guess they split the admission where half of it would be a blind lottery. <laughs> right. And I I know of, uh, quite a few parents were upset at that because they felt like it was going to let in the riffraff or, or things like that. But I do wonder how many kids have, lift, have been left by the wayside that would benefit from the hands-on you know, I have five kids, and they're all very different, and they learn very different. I have a couple that are more academically inclined, and I have the others that are more hands-on. And so they would benefit more of a, for, from a vocational, you know, education. And I do feel like a lot of kids are going to Voke for the sole purpose of being in a better school, quote-unquote, and mm-hmm. more um, disciplined environment. And not necessarily because they want they want to do a vocational, and so then you end up with kids who I, I've heard carpenters say the same thing that those you're saying those gentlemen said with the auto body shops. I've heard electricians say the same thing. They can't find good help, and I know some of it is cultural. I do have five, you know, young adult teenage kids, and I do see a lack of um, I don't know what we had in our generation, which is a little bit more drive, but I don't think it's all that I do think a lot of it is just they don't want to do those vocations. They're just there by default, I guess. I don't know. It's yeah. just a point. Well, and I know kids who have gone to the school for that very reason. You know, they go on to college, they get a different career, nothing to do with their shop, and they're they're not shy about saying, "Oh, I just went there because I knew it was a better school and I would have right. a better experience." And so my point is, what about the young man or young lady who ended up having to go to a, a an academic school like a New Bedford High School or wherever town you're from? Um, and could have benefited from that vocational, and they've just they've missed out because a kid with better grades got into a school that is not necessarily made for kids who want to go on to college, sort of. If, no, you know, absolutely, I, I don't know yeah. If that makes sense or not, but just my two cents, I guess. All right, well, thank you for the call. No problem. Have, have a good day. day. Everybody that's on the line, don't worry. We are going to get to you all. I do have to take a break, but I'm happy to uh, go on with this topic throughout the course of the morning. Um, quickly, though, before we go to the break, that is one of the concerns that's brought up in the story and, and it has been brought up with people who are uh, against the current admission policies is you are keeping kids out that might want to learn that trade because they don't have all of the other all of the other things. But also there's kids who have all of those other things. There's kids who have everything that they might be looking for in a Vogue Tech student, yet doesn't get in because of the number of spots that they have. So the kid who is just as good as the last kid that got in there by the standards that they admit kids by didn't get in because of a numbers game.
but somebody else went in there. So let's not talk about all because you're all going to call in and say kids shouldn't go there if they haven't shown that they care about it and they haven't shown that they can earn it and all that kind of stuff. I know we've heard it. We've heard it for weeks when we talked about this. Forget those kids. Forget the kids that you think are the the riffraff or the problem or the kids that don't don't need to go to school at all or shouldn't be in a school. Whatever it is that you think, forget those kids. Think about the kid who is if there was you know a hundred open spots that year. Think about the kid that was a hundred and one that just missed out because there wasn't enough spaces. That kid now does not have the opportunity to go and become whatever he wanted to become in that shop because some other kid did get in, but then is not going to ever pursue that because he's going to go to college and have a completely different career because he was just taking a shop so that he could go to Votech. So think about those kids that are left behind. You know, don't, don't, I, don't worry about the kids that you are putting all the stigmas on. Think about those kids. And then on the flip side of this, imagine if there was somebody standing outside New Bedford High School on the first day of school for freshman year and said to kids, uh, you know what? I don't know that you're going to show up every day. So no, you can't come in. And you know what? I think you might kind of act out a little bit in class sometimes. So no, you can't come in. Think of the outrage that would be amongst that if, if people were standing outside New Bedford public, you know, New Bedford's public high school and saying, nah, you know what? We've decided that we don't want to educate you because... You don't, you don't fit up to our standards. I know you didn't fail out, but there's just, you know, there's, there's just some things that we don't like about you. And imagine if that was happening at the high school. People would be outraged. That's what's happening at Votech. 508-996-0500. And not just New Bedford, Greater New Bedford Votech. At all the vocational schools that are using these admission policies. Got to take a break, though. We'll be back in a few minutes. <laughs> Welcome back in uh, 508-996-0500. I think we can squeeze in a call before I have to take my final break of the hour. You're next on WBSM. Hey, Tim, I know that uh, another reason the students aren't going directly into the um, study, you know, that they did in school is when the students get in, whether they merge them with New Bedford High or what, they, they get a choice. They get a choice and they get to go through like exploratories, check out all the different uh, options. Well, you know, a, a number of the different options mm -hmm. for a period of time, but then they choose, they, they kind of give their, you know, I think it's their top three choices. I don't know if that's exactly the way they're doing it now, but oftentimes, even if, you know, they're taking the supposedly the best of the best is the way they're trying to do it. Th those students don't always get their number one choice. So say they wanted dental and they got into cosmetology or automotive or whatever. They do the best they can. They get through it. They study automotive. They get out of school. They go back into dental. I, I know a few students that did did that specifically and did well. One of them ended up with, um, you know, the big golden tassels around her neck at graduation for, uh, you know, excelling. Whether it was, you know, honor society or... Um, you know, like top of the class and did not choose to go into dental. She actually went into the Navy and is now doing nursing, which would have been her first choice. And the, you know, and another one <clears throat> was in dental, wanted to go, you know, into cosmetology, did that after school. <clears throat> so they're not always saying they want to do a particular thing and then bailing on that career path afterwards. Some of them are sticking to their original intention and not ending up in, um, you know, so I, I have to say that, you know, that's for a number of the students. But overall, 
I think they're going at this problem the wrong way, saying Volk needs to let more students in. I think overall, all students should be able to get the, the training for the career they intend to go in, whether it's at New Bedford, maybe half of New Bedford High needs to become more of like a vocational type school. Well, that, no that, that, would, take that would take Greater New Bedford Votech signing off on that, and they were reluctant to do so. Well, if there's a more of a need than they can accommodate, then to me, that you know, if you can't do the job because you don't have the room to accommodate everybody, then get, get New Bedford on board. Yeah, I Maybe do half yeah. the shops over there. But these students might not be as strong academically, but get them in a, in a garage, and you can train the heck out of them to do automotive. Some of them have an inclination and not necessarily strong academically. Doesn't mean they can't do that job. Sure. I got to just hold you there because I got to take my final break. But thank you for the call. Okay. Have a good day. And uh, we will have more phone calls with you. 508-996-0500. We'll be back in a few moments. All right. We're going to be going into the newsroom in just about a minute. Kate's got some uh, some news she will share with you. Uh, before we do that, though, real quickly, Mr. M on AppChat. Tim, how about the kids that do not live in any of the communities that are allowed to go to Vogue, but just because their parents or grandparents own a business or rental property in the city, they get accepted into Vogue. How about doing a little better job on investigating where the children live? I, I mean, I don't know if that's a hugely overwhelming problem. It might happen on a few cases here and there, but I don't know that that's necessarily, you know, a big factor of why those spots are filled up, but certainly it's something that should be looked at if it is part of it. If, um, if they have spaces